Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm really excited today because we have a wonderful guest with us, um, somebody close to my heart because he is part of our memory cafe, and I will be introducing you to David here shortly. But for those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks, basically we are an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. You see, my mom had dementia for 30 years, changed my life, changed my career, and all I want to do is to help connect people to services, products, and tools, and real practices that work. And the only way we can do that is by having a conversation and being inclusive of everybody. So today, we are going to be talking with uh, David Weatherford, and he is 55 years old. And he is married to Andrea for 27 years, and they have three boys, Curtis, 25, Nicholas, 18, and Jacob, who is 15. Now, David got diagnosed with frontal temporal uh, dementia, which is known as FTD, in September of 2017, so not very long ago. And he was self-employed from 1992 to um, 2009. And after that, he was a building engineer at Egan High School from 2009 to uh, 2017. And when dementia hits, your life changes. And so um, welcome, welcome, David. I'm just thrilled to have you on the show with us today. Thank you. I always, you know, ask everybody who is a guest on our show, you know, if they've been touched by dementia, and needless to say, you have been, very personal. Yes. <laughs> Front and center there. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey? How did, how did you come to know that you had dementia? Um, well, uh, it, I guess a lot of it goes with my wife because since I, she's the closest one to me, she started noticing changes. and. Um, a lot of this, my perspective and seeing how we noticed um, has a little bit of reflection involved in it. But what it was is I, um, things in, in normal situations, she noticed I, I didn't have the, uh, I was always calm, cool, and collective, I guess. And I was having more, things were stressing me more. And uh, as I tell um, a lot of people, and they think it's pretty much a normal marriage thing, but I was kind of getting to this feeling where, you know, she's always nagging me and I'm always a jerk, you know, and, and it, that dynamic was causing a lot of rift and I couldn't explain it. And we were just having a lot of miscommunication. We weren't on the same page and she just thought I should see my regular doctor. And, you know, we did some, uh, anti not antidepressant, but, um, oh, anxiety type medicine. And um, we tried that for a while, and there seemed to be a little bit of a difference. 
Um, but yet it, it was, seemed to be more short lived and there was something more. And we were wondering if it's like a ADD is in my family, some sort of attention deficit thing or something. So then we, um, the doctor thought the best way to, cause I'm asking if there's just like ADD testing. And he, t- he thought we're a very good family doctor. Um, he thought the best way would be to do a, a neuropsychological evaluation. Cause that way it'll, it'll just do the whole gamut of things. So we could, you know, you'll have a much better picture of what's going on. And so I was tested and, and I got the results and, you know, day later I didn't have a job. <laughs> I mean, it kind of went that quick, but it was about three years prior that we were, my wife says we noticed things and we tried that. So it was probably about two years trying anxiety medicine, maybe back and forth with doses. But then eventually we did that testing and, and got the results. And, and that's when everything changed. <laughs> it's not uncommon. A lot of times with FTD, you know, people say we thought we were going to get divorced because of the miscommunication, you know, and you know, it, it is, is it, is this just kind of a marriage thing? Yeah, I had that a lot when, when explaining this to people and telling the story just right away when it happens. I, I can't tell you how many times I heard the comment, sounds like marriage to me. <laughs> because that, you know, well, I do that all, gee, maybe I have it. Because trying to describe it so people understand was, you know, it was just the same things. It's like, well, everybody has this problem. Everybody has that kind of problem, but it was just the intensity and it really takes someone close that you're with day to day to notice. Cause my wife and I even say now, because I, you know, when I'm not here or, you know, with it out in public or meeting me with some other family that you only visit, they don't see so much of a change, but yet day to day and the little struggles in the evening before you're going to bed or just, you know, waking up in the morning, maybe some of those challenges, they're not seen. So everyone's like, well, I don't see a problem with David. He seems the same to me. So we're having trouble that way. And yes, you know, if it weren't for the strong commitment on both of us, and I, I really, my wife, Andrea, is just steadfast. Divorce isn't an option. We made a commitment and I felt the same way that, you know, no matter how tough the trail gets, as long as She's, as long as I'm working and she's working toward that harmony, we, we were in it together. And that that's really just wasn't an option. So that, that mindset probably saved us <laughs> from that, yeah. that part. Well, and that's nice because, you know, not everybody has that steadfast, steadfast I can't say the word, yeah. <laughs> that ability to stay together. I'll put it that way. Um, and so it's, you know, it's tough. It's tough stuff. Right. Did you even know what, what FTD was? Did you have? No, I had no idea. And it's interesting because I go in, I went in for the testing or went in to get the results of the testing. And this is from the neuropsychologist, not the neurologist. So they're just telling you what they kind of found, but it's up to the neurologist to like say, yes, you have this. They kind of like, but I did get a report in the testing and, um, Oh, Jesus. Slip the question. Um, And so, oh, yeah, she was telling me some of the things and we were explaining some of the moods. And before I actually saw the neurologist and in between that time of getting the results and seeing the neurologist, we were online doing what everyone does and searching out these different things and different words she used in that results. 
And I'm like, oh, that's me. I pointed, you know, I'm like, Andrea, come look at this. And you look at the symptoms. It's like, I, I, yes, all those. I mean, to some degree. So I kind of had a little feeling, but then we got the official tag and it was just like, she's like, well, you can't work because of what my position was. And that was, that was really like, wow. I mean, it was that, it was just so, you know, well, can I work three more days to kind of wrap up my job, kind of at least get it ready for the next person? And so that was fine. But yeah, my job ended like just that fast. And, wow. and that was tough. Wow. That's a, that's a big loss because so much of who we are is what we do. Right, and right. When that goes away like that, that's and, and a whole what was other it, level. To add to it is like, and it was the job position I was in a lot of times guys go on to be building chiefs or, you know, run the, you know, the, that part of the school. And, um, I had finally like stopped trying to go for those goals. And I was really, really in the last two or three years settling into that's going to be my position till I retire. And was really at a comfort level as far as employment and everything where when you're self-employed, you never have that comfort. <laughs> So it, it was, that was tough. So when you heard the words from the doctor, do you remember what, what you felt or what your reaction was at the time? You know, I, it, I'm very, when I get bad news and, and what it's really funny is actually one of the words that was used that I guess my wife and I joke about now is in the, when she was giving us the test results and you're reading about their observations she thought I seemed jovial was the word. And and that's just kind of like, I heard it and I understood it. But I mean, it was like, you know, I don't have a traumatic, oh my God, I didn't burst into tears or think my life was over. It's just like, I felt the same two minutes before and two minutes after the news. So I, I don't have like that. I'm just like taking it in as far as, you know, okay. So what does it mean? What's going to happen? You know, I just had more questions, really. I really didn't. I just kind of moving forward. I, I guess it's like it is what it is. Is kind of been my philosophy a lot in life. So I guess I just felt okay. Now what? Now what? Now what? More information. Who should I see? What should we do? I mean, it just kind of was almost a natural reaction, just like your car breaking down on the freeway. Okay, it's broke. What do I got to do? Yep. How did your wife react to the news? Well, and that was one of the things too, is is that she heard it and she had a lot, she's had a lot of friends or she had some close friends that were diagnosed. So she had a little bit closer experience with dementia and Alzheimer's than I had. And um, she heard the news and she started crying. And I'm kind of surprised by that, but I mean, I, comforted a little but I'm like wait a minute I in the way I felt why are you crying but I mean I understood it she's very sentimental she's very strong but yet you know lets her emotions be seen she's not she doesn't hold back her emotions and and she's very strong and and, and just an awesome caregiver for me took me a few took me the first year to to get to that place because there were still some battles after the diagnosis. I mean, I was trying to set everything up, but yet there were still some things that, you know, it, kind of a, a power shift in the family, really, from me taking care of a lot of things to her taking care of a lot of things and her wanting to know everything that I used to take care of that she used to just, David deals with that. 
And so she was trying to set up herself to be a caregiver and handle everything to just take all that load off of me, which I was fine with, but yet apparently not because it did cause some, you know, bumpy, cause some bumps in the road to get where I actually am now and have been since about September as far as a real comfort level, really coming to terms with what I have and how my life is going to be from this day forward. Well, it's, it's always hard. I mean, if you're changing a job or you've got a yep. diagnosis, when those roles shift, there, there's, there's always that mucky water of how do I do this and how is it done respectfully and, you know, and, and how am I prepared and yet not stripping somebody of their purpose at the right. same time. And, you know, you just, you, nobody knows what they don't know. You right. Know, this is all new water on, on both sides of the bridge there for you. Now, did you tell your kids right away? But that, I don't know if we, I mean, I'm, it's, it's, yeah, probably as soon as we know. I think we spread the diagnosis. Heck, I had the little letter and I was showing it all around work like, you know, how's it going, David? All well, this is what I got and you can't work here anymore, the administration and the staff, and I'd watch everyone's reaction. And no, I'm pretty sure we'd let the kids know right away. We didn't try and hide anything. It's dad's got this, as you know. I mean, they see us every day. They know how it is at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if it's bumpier than normal or if it's a real smooth, lovey-dovey phase, they see it. So they, they kind of know what's going on in the house. So if there's something that we had a reason or an explanation of why something was going on, I'm sure we share it right away. I mean, yeah. They, and they took it. I mean, they're, they're boys. So they're like, yeah, okay. I mean, they, it's, it, it's hard to say because I, they don't see that big a change or the change has been so subtle, you know, that they're, they just don't notice it. You know, that they're involved in their life. They're teenagers, you know, and young, you know, they're in their lives. So that, you know, it's like, Oh, dad has this. Oh, what does that mean? I mean, and we don't even know. So, you know, you know, the statistics and you can say that and that can be wow, but I don't know, you know, that it was, I was a lot more concerned about, I mean, life because they do a, they have a, they say anyone with this diagnosis has, you know, averages like, you know, I, what is it? Five to 10 years. Usually it's terminal. I mean, they, they do say it's a terminal disease, and most are with five to 10 years, but then they expand anywhere from two to 20. And I just, I kind of said that, that, that I go back and forth with like, Oh my God, it's going to end. And the other thing is I just, you know, in talking with my wife, I joke with her like, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to say, I'm going to go 20 just to be a pain. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting out easy. I'm going to go 20 just to be a pain in the butt. Just, we joke that way. We use humor a lot. To, to get through this stuff and, and it, and it feels good to laugh. So. Well, that's good. I know with, you know, my mom had it for 30 and, you know, they were saying seven, maybe 11 years, right. but so. nowadays they say most people have symptoms 15 years prior and you probably caught yours earlier on. That's what know? they're tending to think. Yep. And so right now on dementia chats, I mean, we have, um, Harry Urban, I believe, has been living with his dementia 15 years, and um, Truthful Loving Kindness, I think she said 20. Okay. And, and they're still participating and very, very much, um, you know, advocates for the cause and outspoken, and, you know, they're adapting as, as things change, but that's what we do in all of life. We adapt. Right. Yep. You know, that's, that's what makes us human, you know, with that, so... 
Well, good. I, I appreciate you sharing because it's it's always an interesting process. Now, I did a, 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 a film last night. We did a screening and a gentleman came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I've got to mention, I haven't, I haven't told my friends yet. You know, a couple of them know. Should I tell them? I'm thinking after this film, I should tell them. You know? <laughs> he said, well, you know, that's a real personal thing because some people, some people really hide that and, and right. are very open. How did you handle that? You know what? It, 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 some situations, of course, if you're at, you know, my son was playing hockey at the time and, and just in those situations, it's like you're close to these people. So not that I'd ever hide it, but, you know, you kind of a little bit more delicate is just when you tell them. But, no, we were very open about it. I mean, I would just mention it or, you know, even even some of the ones you tell a few, but you don't have a chance to tell everybody. And then I assume there's a certain amount of grapevine gossip going on. And so I'd, I got to the point where, like, now you heard, right? And they're like, heard what? And so I'd say about my, you know, I had a diagnosis and they'd be like, no, or yeah. And I'd say, do you have any questions? I mean, I would just, you know, open. I mean, I just, I'd go right out there and uh, tell them I wasn't afraid. I mean, I just, that's never bothered me. It's like, I have what I have. I am what I am. I mean, I've always kind of been that way as far as just, it's easier to be a little more open about stuff than it is to hide it all and worry. And I, I don't know. It just, I'd rather they know and get comfortable with it. So I don't have that. There's always a little bit of weirdness at first, you know, cause people don't know how to treat you, but then eventually it's just who you are and you're back to every day and nobody's really thinking about it. Yeah. I think that's a really good attitude to have. There's so much fear. A lot of times, you know, um, you know, some friends and even some families sometimes will back away when someone's right. diagnosed and you know, that, that can happen any time in our life. And, yeah. and it routinely does, you know, if our friends change and, and stuff. And so then you just kind of got to align with who you're, who works for you now, you right. know? One of, the, one of the toughest things and, and for my wife and, and for me, and especially me going through it, and I said that first year was rough, is that my side of the family all lives in the Detroit, Michigan area. So you tell them the news and then you do a visit or something and they, you know, an hour, two hours, they're with you and you're catching up on things and you're also talking about the diagnosis, but they don't see it. That was that whole, they don't see it. Well, you seem normal to me. It's, you know, did you get a second opinion? Did you, did, you know, they have all these questions like in, 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 a, in a doubt and it's, you know, and it was tough because my wife was like, I'm living this. Okay. I mean, we, this isn't something we just kind of went to the doctor. He said, you had this and it's over, you know, and we're assuming that. So that's been tough and it's still tough for them as far as support because they, they think they understand it or they Google a few things online, but with everyone being different in this disease, the way it is, I think you kind of need to know the person's personality and then you'll see the changes or you'll see their difficulties in certain areas. In some areas, I mean, it becomes very obvious to everyone in my family. And it, it comes as a surprise to me sometimes when, I, when they give me feedback. Like, you were really hot. And, and I always say, well, gee, I wasn't angry. I was kind of mad at the situation. But I, I wanted something to happen. So I kind of am almost letting myself be angry. But that gets tough, too, because they, um, oh, David was really, you know, he seemed to be, uh, you know, extremely hot at that situation. And I'll hear about it and I'll go, I know I was angry, but I just, 
I wanted to make an impact. So it, 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 it just gets tough having it with people's reactions that way. Because mm-hmm. they start reading every little thing you do and why. And sometimes it's, it's enlightening and it helps me. And other times it's like you were looking at it, you know, too intensely with too much, of, too much thought and too much of a microscope. That's the hard part. Yeah, I think sometimes people look at it and they blame everything on dementia. Right. You know, and when you're an open book and, you know, you, you know you're out there, that's who you've always been. Right. You know, it's like, well, don't start. That's just me. That's my personality. When you say that, that, that makes me think of the thought that, yes, I've always been kind of one who says a little more, a little more open. Um, and that maybe that part of certain parts of my uh, personality, like that David will say anything thing, um, becomes a little more intense or a little more than it was. It, it, it goes up in degree as opposed to just staying where it was. So you, it's like my personality, some of those aspects that made me me are now amplified, but maybe if you go too high, they can be annoying. <laughs> you know I mean? It's like, so I got to be conscious of it that I can't always say I got to be careful. I try and use my screen a little more and my filter because sometimes I, I say things sometimes in my head to myself to see if that's maybe really the appropriate thing. I'm a lot more conscious than I used to be, but I think I'm still the same out there and put everything out there and people don't notice that it's actually that mentally strenuous for me. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I think that's a really good point that you just brought up about, you know, you're trying to self-monitor because with dementia, some filters do go by the wayside. And right. so then you you have to really be conscious of things that you worked before. You were just kind of talking, you yep. know, it was, it was a hidden thing. And what people don't understand, I think, about dementia is how hard a person with dementia has to work sometimes to fit right. in because they are trying to self-monitor without letting anyone else know, you know, right. going on and that's I mean when when I have to do that that's exhausting and to think, you know, to think that I'd have to do that 24 7 you know if, if we can put if, if we can get some compassion and empathy behind that it's like holy crap that's a lot of work you know that's a that's a lot and again my wife is really good at that and she you know if there's a, a wedding or you know some of those bigger social events I'm okay but I let her know, you know, it's like I might not be there the full five hours, maybe only the three. I mean, some of those situations or even when we're running errands, you know, going from Target to Walgreens to, you know, the mall to Baba, I can only do so much. And then it kind of almost shuts me down for the day. I'm just like, my head is jammed up and my brain is jammed. And I just almost, and what's, at least I have found something and she does a support group. And for me, what really works and, and I've always loved it, but I, I just need to sit in front of the TV and just be there. And it just, it really just, it, it's a relaxing, calming, safe. I don't know. It doesn't require much mental energy on my part. And that seems to be something I, I that's how I kind of retreat to. I don't retreat to a book. I don't just go lay down. I just want to sit in front of the TV and something that's somewhat familiar, something I enjoy or something like that. And that works for me and my wife at her FTD support group 
has some that works for some of the patients, you know, people with FTD, as she talks to, but others, it, it doesn't. And some of them have complained that all their husband wants to do is watch TV. But on that same aspect, somebody will say, well, you're lucky. That's all. He did. He's happy in front of the TV. <laughs> wants to run around and talk to everybody or something. So it's, I guess it's finding what, what little niche or what calming mechanism or what, you know, what is relaxation to the person with the, with the dementia. Yeah. Well, and uh, there's a lot of people with dementia, especially with FTD that say that they wear headsets when they go out in public, just so it's noise canceling because all that extra jibber jabber that's going around. um, And that helps them last out in public a little bit longer um, because that really throws them for a loop. Um, and sometimes it can be the lighting and the change or the, the colors and the carpeting and the patterns and all these things can come into play that people don't realize are affecting somebody with dementia. Yeah, I have all kinds of new little experiences like that, like sometimes where there's lots of big screen TVs and certain motion, I kind of, it's like a brain overload or I can't do this or I can, if I'm watching, I have a little bit of a vertigo and I can and I even get the feeling now seeing high things or views from high places on TV you know or it's that perspective type where they're showing you know somebody with a GoPro is doing something crazy and it's like I almost can feel myself losing balance and and weird sensations that way so I can understand that's interesting about the input because I'm wondering if down the road I might be there with those headphones because I could see where that gets too much I mean Certain music I can't listen to. I can listen to familiar music, but new music just, it doesn't call me or feel good. It almost makes my head hurt. Mm-hmm. So. And, and some will say um, that they can't hear certain tones anymore, you know, and so that makes a difference in terms of what they listen to. Or if, if they used to like big bands, they can't take all of the instruments they need right. just piano or just guitar because it just it's too it's too much stimulation for them to sort out and then put back together, and so it's I, it, you know these are things that that most people don't understand how hard you have to work at to to an environment to adjust in, and um, you know those are things that we have to tell people more about you know what you're what you're hearing and what you're seeing and. Yeah, I, I, my wife and I were just talking in the car, just like, I hope you don't mind that I'm, I do a lot of thinking about what I'm, how I'm feeling and, you know, situations, and I try and communicate with her a lot about, you know, that was a lot for me, boy, I was really struggling, or, you know, hey, I was wondering, you know, maybe when I did this, this is why, I'm, and so I'm always looking at my actions and looking at things and, and feeling I'm really I, I analyze myself a lot and that's probably my personality mm-hmm. more so than anything. So that's part of it, but it, it is interesting and it's, it's eye opening to me too. So I, I don't know much. I, I figure it's a good thing. Yeah. And then if I can express it to other people, maybe that'll help too. Yeah. I, I remember doing um, an att- intensive workshop, um, was for a Wisconsin group. And one of the things I did was I interviewed a person with dementia and uh, this gal was lovely. And she used to talk to the group every year. And she's like, but this is what I talk about. And I said, I'd really, I'd really like you to talk on a different topic. And I said, so if you'll just bear with me and for two days, 
I just want you to think about all of your senses and have things changed in terms of what you see, you know, what you feel, what you hear. And she was really shocked. And we, we did this interview process and we only had 20 minutes, but professionals that had been in the business for 20 and 30 years said that was the best session ever because we, we didn't know how much their environment had changed for them. And it got people to understand even in terms of approaching somebody, um, you know, how to do that and, and the why behind it. And it was, it was quite fascinating, you know, and even taste and smell, right. how things had changed, you know, with the disease. And, and she thought at first, well, no, it really hasn't affected me. And then she, she got back two days later and said, oh, it's really changed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, because you just normally adapt. And we right. don't know how to do that deep dive and stuff. So, you know, monitoring those types of things and telling people around you, what's happening, I think can be super, super powerful, super, super powerful with that. Um, can you tell us, I, I know you guys just went through a move. And right. How did that go? And, and why did you decide to make the move? Well, um, that whole getting all your ducks in a row, you know, powers of attorney and medical powers of attorney and all that stuff, and trying to just set yourself up for when Maybe I, we don't, since you don't know the timetable, we're trying to cram all this stuff in, you know, try and take care of it right away to get all the ducks in a row to start everything moving in the tour. And with the, with the idea or the perspective that, you know, I'll be incapable of doing anything, you know, I'll be bedridden and incapable in two years, even though that's probably unrealistic, but to kind of look at it that way, like, let's just get it all done. So we're not dragging this out and a new thing keeps popping up. And while I'm alert and, and seem like I feel normal, I mean, like, and I'm still able to understand, I mean, I could still probably do the taxes on TurboTax, but that's something I'd let go. But, you know, it'd be more frustrating for me now. That's all. But I still have a lot of capabilities and a lot of knowledge and, and stuff. So, and understanding, I mean, even when we meet with lawyers or other people, I mean, my wife does it one way. I learn another way. And when we talk on the end, I mean, I'm saying no, this, and she's like, okay. And she understands. And so that's why we wanted to get all that in line. But that was also hard for me I, and not realizing it at the time, but looking back is, and probably why we still kind of have that rub going on that first year is that I'm, my role is changing in the family. I, I'm, I'm now, I mean, in a laughing way, I'm one of the kids. I mean, she's going to take on, you know, all the responsibilities in that. And so that was difficult. But, you know, the move, it was, again, one of those decisions to get in the ducks in the row. I don't want to be doing outside, have to take care of the lawn. The kids are moving out anyway, you know. And if I can't get into a spot, so we were particular about the type of, we moved to a town home wanted to make sure that I maybe had a space that if I was, I lost some mobility and stuff, I could get into the place, have a living room, have a bedroom, have a bathroom without having to go up and down stairs or negotiate some of those things that would be more difficult with, you know, if I was wheelchair bound or unable to really move very well. Cause you just, 
we don't know, so we're in a way preparing for the worst to the best we can and being real at the same time. Um, moving also, I was at the time driving. Lots of people say don't drive. Um, over the summer, I part of FTD, I have a behavioral variant, which means I'm losing the capacity to, uh, the frontal lobe is going, and that's what you want your teenager to develop. So he has some logic and reason. And so I'm losing that. So my judgment can be a little, you know, clouded or just not as sharp as it used to be. So I'm, I'm like a Benjamin Button thing where I'm reverting. And, and you know, so um, I made some poor decisions and life choices over the summer. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter what they are, but they were adolescent in nature and that. And uh, the neurologist and my wife decided it was best that if I didn't drive anymore. And though it was tough, it's like I heard that and it's just like, I can drive. But I just said, um, you know, do what we need to do. And that, that's okay. If, if that's what you feel best, I understand. I mean, I was, I was real about it. And I want to say what a blessing and what a, how that has helped. That one instant has made a huge change in my perspective of everything. For one thing, I became a little more dependent on people for mobility. But on that same aspect, I was able to discover my bicycle. There's a certain amount of freedom I got by not being able to drive because then I don't feel like I have to, I can do things that require a car. I mean, as far as, stores or projects. I mean, I was in as a contractor, so I'm always trying to do something. I mean, I love Menards and Home Depot and all those places. And just, it takes, it slows me down because I was a real go after it. I mean, I ran my own business. So, I, and even when I was working for the school district, I always took ownership in what I was doing, like it was mine, you know? So I take a lot. So, so getting that part of my personality and that do it now. Let's fix it. Go. Boom. Why? Okay. What are we doing? Yeah. What do we need to do? And I just, I hit hard. I go hard and fast. And so that's had to slow me down a little bit and give me perspective by not being able to drive a little more planning, not such an urgency in day-to-day -day life. And that has really been a blessing. I don't know how else to say it. It just, it slowed me down. I mean, I still get a little anxious and like, oh, I want to get this done. I want to get this done. But I also know that it may not happen today or tomorrow. And I put it on my wife's radar and then she does her best to help me because she knows that that's driving me or that's in the back of my head, but it, it's shelved, but it's right there, you know, waiting for the opportunity. So again, that's really been helpful for me. And I really enjoy riding my bike. And like I said, it, it's almost like, it's like a dream. I go riding and I'm just, I'm free. I don't have a responsibility, nowhere to be. I, I've been able to enjoy that part of life and just see different things. I mean, it's a lot different riding all the bike paths than it is uh, driving a car as far as what you see and where you are. I mean, Google, Google maps does, will, will chart you a course for a bike path instead of the roads. I mean, it, there's, there's little things that I'm learning and, and enjoying that just are, um, that I didn't before didn't see were there. And it's all because driving was taken away. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's forced me in a, in a way it, it kind of, it really steered me in that direction to, um, to slow down, take a look at what you got, understand it and operate with it. 
because I guess driving is such a part of our lives that, I mean, you talk to anybody, how am I going to survive without a car? And until you do, or, you know, you're, or you have to, you realize it's not so bad. I mean, Christmas was, was great. I got saddlebags for my bike. I got a light, you know, I got a little thing that holds my cell phone. I mean, it's just, it's like, I just embraced that and made that like, that's the only option I have. So I'm going to maximize that option. I guess that's how I, that part anyway. Well, that's a great way to, to look at things, though. And, you know, those are both the changing the house and, and, you know, the driving. Those are two massively huge, huge changes yeah. in your life. And, and I like how you two are really approaching this from a proactive standpoint and allowing you to still be involved in those choices, you know, while you can be. Right. I, I think that that makes so much sense. A lot of times people will wait to make a move. And then when they make the move, a person with dementia is so far down the, the line that it's really difficult. And then now yeah. all of a sudden they have to be placed someplace because it's thrown for a loop. Yeah. Moving's always upsetting to anybody. I mean, there's, there's yeah. some sort of upsettingness to it. I mean, you're up. And so, yeah, doing that, that has been helpful. I mean, it's still, you know, you kind of long for your old house or something, but I mean, it was just, and I love it. I mean, now I'm in a townhome. I'm not worried about the snow, but I can shovel if I want to and make it a little better. I mean, I could just do the little things, but I don't feel the pressure or the obligation to do so much. Yeah. And that's been the biggest adjustment for me because I was always, I'm a people pleaser, get it done, take charge person. And I've had to step back from that. And, and that's where most of, uh, the conflict between me and my wife comes is that shifting of power. It really does. And, and I hate the word power, but just shifting of responsibilities. So. Yeah. And, and that, that makes perfect sense as well, you know, with all of that. And it's, um, you seem to really understand, you know, the process and have reflected on it and had conversations on it, which is so healthy. A lot of couples don't. And so right. I give you guys kudos for that. What do you think has been your biggest hurdle through this process so far? I, I actually, I, the driving actually was the biggest hurdle. I think that was, I mean, I was resistant. I mean, I did an evaluation where I was, you know, actually didn't even, she thought I did so well in the, what do they call it? The, clinical or whatever study where you're in a, in an office basically doing all these tests that she didn't even bother with a road test. I mean, she's like, well, you're, you know, I mean, I just don't see a reason why. And so then I'm thinking, then I'm more empowered to, I can keep driving. And, and so, but like, I, again, like I said, that was the biggest hurdle. Um, and I guess the other hurdle for me is I was, I'm, I've always been the helper and now I'm the helpy. Everyone's helping me. And I always, I have a lot of guilt feelings about being helped. You know, someone drive me here. Can someone drive me here? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Because I've always been the per. like I said, I've always been the helper. I would drop anything. I mean, kind of my nature and my wife, we kind of are more outward go and help everybody and being what I did in contracting and just my, uh, my skill set lends itself well to help lots of people. I mean, construction, mechanical, you know, automobile. I, I just have a, a mechanical aptitude 
not really schooled in it, just kind of natural and life experience that I've always helped people do everything. And I've always, and I, and I enjoyed it. It's not like it's always been a headache for me. It's like, I enjoy that I'm able to help them and make their lives easier. And, and, you know, and it's a lot of it's family, but it's also friends. And I love, I love to save money. So if I can help them save money, it makes me feel good too. So, I mean, it was a lot of, it made me feel good to help people. So that, like I said, that, and it's just, now I'm not doing that. I'm accepting more help. I still help people, but then I still need help to help people, if that makes any sense. <laughs> well, you know what's what's so interesting with what you just said, and, and this is common, and I've been through it myself, is, you know, I'm always one who, I like my options, I, I like to help people as well, and I don't like to receive help, and yet I get such great joy out of helping people, and so by me not accepting help is taking that away from somebody else. Right. And so, you know, but I think what we've been taught, especially here in America, that we're supposed to be independent and it's supposed to be like this and, you know, and yep. I want to look weak. And, and you no, know, it's about being part of a community. It's about being part of a family. And that's that's what we should be doing for one another. Yeah, I was on that same topic. I was getting a ride for my sister-in-law. She was taking me from one end of town to the other. And I was just expressing how I feel guilty that you have to drive. It's, it was later in the night, you know, like probably a Sunday night or something that you got to take me all the way home, 45 minute drive. And she's like, I said, I feel bad. And she's like, why? You, you did this for me. You did this. She listed like five things. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't count. I, I like doing that. She's like, you can't be the judge of that. You don't get to do that. And, and we laughed at it and it, and it actually helped a lot. That was my uh, sister-in-law. And, and it was just, you know, and when I have these situations where I talk to people about that, about how I'm feeling about them helping me, it they express like, well, you've done this, for, and, it, and it does help me get some perspective in it all. As far as, yeah, they, they're like, no, I, I I feel I owe them. And they're like, are you kidding? I could never pay you back. And I don't mean to keep score like that, but it's just like I forget that I used to help everybody. I, I mean, it was that's how nothing it was to me. So when they're helping me, it's like I'm starting to go, God, I'm getting all this help all the time. So I've started to keep score more, but I don't really. I mean, it just I, I feel it more. And that's like I said, that's been a big hurdle is not is accepting help and not and letting people help me because they want to help. Yeah. And, and I, I, I almost get a little weepy kind of emotional when it comes to that. Well, yeah, and because it is, it's such a precious thing to right. to receive that help and to know that that others really want to give, you know, right. that, that makes them feel yep. good. Well, you seem to be really coping very well with your diagnosis. And, <laughs> and do you have any tips for maybe anyone who is listening out there? You know, if they're a person diagnosed or a family member, you know, what, what kind of tips would you give people? I guess the, for, for me, and I mean, I, it took me, a year I think to get this figured out, but it's that I, I guess trusting the other people, your family and friends around you and what they're seeing and, and, and letting go a little bit. That's that, that, that to, to just really, really trust your spouse. I mean, I guess I hope everyone with their spouse would have that kind of thing, but even when you have a great relationship in that, to just trust that they're in, they're doing things in your best interest. And I mean, it doesn't mean you don't 
fight for what you feel a little bit or express what your desires or your visions for are, but to trust them that they're not acting out of greed, spite, control, but they're acting out of love. And I guess that would be my biggest thing is, is realizing that. Because it does feel when all those things are falling away that you used to do, that, you know, they're controlling you and they're not, they're trying to help you and you're interpreting it as control. Yeah. I, I guess that, but, that's, that's <laughs> I don't know how to say advice. it any other way. <laughs> no, that, that's really great advice. It's um, well, you know, one of the sayings that we have too with, with dementia is, you know, when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one same with care partners and, and environments. But so many times if a person with dementia does something that uh, maybe a care partner or a friend doesn't understand. They're like, well, they're just pushing my buttons. You know, they're just, and it's right. like, oh, no, it's, it's not planned. It's, right. it, that's not what it is. And same with a care partner. They just, you know, are trying to do the very best and try to make your life as simple. And sometimes we make the mistake of taking too much away. Right. And, not, well, and, and removing purpose. And so, and that's a, that's a tightrope, you know, and it's right. one of those things that you have to be able to honestly communicate about. I, I think you hit it right on. My wife is constantly saying, I mean, she, that, the tightrope tight rope is, is a great way to say it because she's, I'm, I'm a lot more short-sighted than I used to be. So I get fixated on something and an idea and a plan or something, and I want to go with it and move. And I want to, like I said, I want to move fast. And she she's able to now and I'm able to be a little more trusting and, and stuff to see that the long and, and, and accepting of that. It's not just me, it's her, it's us, you know? So that's, that's how we, that's how I cope with it and then deal with that. And she's always trying to help and she is thinking about me. And then sometimes I'm overwhelmed by the things she's doing just out of the love and care and to make my life easier. Yep. Yep. It's like, well, why are you being so nice? <laughs> I'm not used to this. <laughs> why do you do that? Why are you letting me do this? I don't. <laughs> well, that's uh, how sweet is that? You know, yeah. not everybody has yep. that. You're you're awful, awful lucky that you guys um, are working through this together and really right. are approaching this as a team and have respect for where the other one is coming from and just say, okay, let's, let's, maybe we both put our ideas on hold and we come back right. together you know, in a little bit and look at this again. It's a, yep. uh, it's a process and it'll be, you know, it'll ever be evolving. Uh, yep. that's, that's what I learned on my 30 year journey. It was no two days were the same. And I learned a lot of beautiful lessons along the way that I wouldn't have learned without dementia in our lives. And, so I had we, to focus on that. We really, since the past six months or so, we have really, really hit a much better groove. There's still bumps, but we're really in a good, uh, I feel, I feel, you made me want to talk to her, but I feel we're in a good groove and, and I'm, I'm, I'm settling into a, a comfortable life pattern and everything. And, and that's really good. And I guess it's only been a year and a half since diagnosis. So all in all, as I look back and I think about it, you know, I think we're doing pretty well and, and I'm comfortable. And though it's been rough, we've endured that first rough year. And I think we're going to we're going to do well. 
Good. I'm happy. <laughs> well, David, I can't thank you for taking the time to share, you know, with us um, your insights and your journey. These stories are so important to others. Um, it, it just brings people so much more comfort and you know, the wisdom that you shared um, will will be heard by, by many. So thank you. Now, is it okay to give out an email address for you? If you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best at, you know, typing isn't one of my really high good skills. So I'll do my best to answer back or give them something. Or And if it's okay, I mean, I, sometimes I might be able to say there's not much I can do or I can't help, but I'll, I'll always be open to that. So yeah, you know, I, this is a little new for me, but I, I'm, I, you know, I'm ready to go down at least a road. Maybe I can be a little more helpful. Okay. So David's email is weatherford4 um, at aol.com. And we'll go ahead and put that in on our information. So it'll be on the, on the radio page and the YouTube channel and the blog as well. So people can I, I think I'm the la one of the last 10 that still have an AOL ad address there. <laughs> I saw people have told me before. <laughs> well, thank you again so much. And for our listeners, you know, please feel free to share this with others. I, I think um, David, you know, just put into words beautifully how his journey has gone. And I know it will help others as well. And always feel free to go to alzheimerspeaks.com for further information. And maybe, just maybe, you should be our next guest. So reach out to me if you've got a story to share or a service or a product or tool that can help others. Bye for now. Well, hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.